0: So I promise, this is going to be incredibly practical and helpful, I think for you personally, as well as any kind of relationships that you're in. And to start, I think for many of us, there's kind of three views. There's probably more than three, but three I want to talk about today. Three views of feelings. And one feelings that's really permanent, or, or permeating rather, our culture today, is that your feelings are your identity. And so if you feel it, you have to say it. And you've seen people like this. If they're angry, they have to say it, even if it maybe hurts the people around them. But I feel it, so it must be true. Or, I'm sad, and so you can never kind of encourage people out of the sadness because the sadness is their identity. So we live in a culture today that sees that your feelings are your identity. And that can be a real challenge because does that mean your feelings are always right? Because mine aren't. I mean, they can never be shaped. Well, and then if somebody is advising you about your feelings, but your feelings are your identity, you can imagine you're pretty defensive. So this can be really problematic in relationships. The second view I'll call feelings are clutter, which is, and a lot of us guys struggle with this, but it's for all of us. We're like, yeah, i got to just filter out all these emotions to get to the problem to fix. And what happens is we end up dismissing feelings in ourselves. You know what? Hey, just got to keep working hard. Don't deal with the grief. We push it off to the side. I just got to keep focusing on other things and not deal with my disappointment. Because we see emotions as clutter, not as a part of us we need to process. Then there's a third view, and it's a very nuanced view that I want to describe today and how the Bible addresses feelings, whether it's in yourself or people you love. That feelings are like furniture. They're like furniture. They're a critical part of the infrastructure of our lives and the lives of the people around us. And because of that, they need to be experienced. That doesn't mean they're always accurate. Your spouse says, you shouldn't feel that way, but I do. So part of your way through feelings is to experience it, to let somebody step in to help you experience it. It's like a chair, it's like a a piece of furniture. You don't stare at it, you don't talk about it, you have to experience it. And it's fun to sit in joy, oh my goodness. It's fun to experience excitement. Not so much to sit in grief or sadness. And yet, whether you're comfortable with one emotion or not, emotions, the way we process through it, the way we connect with others, is they're like furniture. They have to be experienced. But also they have to be identified. What emotion is that exactly? It's not worry. It's more like I'm fearful. They also need to be repositioned. You know, sometimes you're like, hey, this is a a queen-size bed, but it doesn't go in the garage. This is a toilet, but we probably shouldn't have it in the living room. There's appropriate places to express anger. There's an appropriate place to express grief. And, And there's ways that can be constructive to you, and there's ways that can be destructive to you. Feelings are like furniture, they need to be experienced. They need to be identified and repositioned sometimes. But thirdly, sometimes they need to be refurbished, which is having experienced them, having some enter into my, into my joy or into my challenges, I then might need to apply some wisdom to say, you know what, I do feel that, but maybe it's not true. And maybe that is affecting me in ways I don't realize. Now again, if you're not a big fan of feelings, I hope this will be real practical for you. But let me give you an example of, uh, of Danny Dufresne. Remember Tim Robbins from uh, the Shawshank Redemption? He got real famous for this movie, right? A friend of mine in Cincinnati actually was in the movie. It's kind of fun. We talk about it occasionally. And what has Tim Robbins been up to? Oh, He's in movies occasionally, talks about politics occasionally, and you either like him or you don't. But one of the things he does on the side is that Tim Robbins, because of his popularity in prisons, because of that movie, he's created a program that goes into prisons, and when he gets to the prison, he says, you know what, I'd like to talk to all of the the gang members, opposing gang members in the prison. I don't want to talk to the (laughs) gang members in the prison. What's he going to do? He leads a theater class. Because when you're in prison, there's only one emotion that's appropriate. Anger. It's the only emotion you're allowed to experience. Because anything else shows you're weak and makes you susceptible to the violence of the opposing gang. So he gathers together opposing gangs. He says, we're going to do a theater class. They're bored. They don't have a lot going on, I guess. (laughs) Right? He says, all right, first guy, Bob, big Bob, step up here. Bob, you're going to play a person whose younger brother has been killed by a drive-by. We're going to hand you an imaginary rose. I want you to go and set it on the casket. You're in the graveyard by yourself, and I want you to tell us what you're going to say to your younger brother. And this gang member, not him, but the character he's playing, can go and set this rose on this casket. and Talk about how much he hates that he couldn't protect his little brother. How angry is it what happened? The regret he has that he led his brother into this lifestyle, and then you go back. All right, well, good job, Bob. <laughs> good job, Bob. But he, it's allowing prisoners to experience emotions they need to experience, but there's no healthy way to do it. And amazingly, the gang violence is going down because other gang members are suddenly seeing them not just as the opposing gang member, but as a human being who has regrets and griefs and challenges as well. So. Big, tough gang members need to experience emotions and identify emotions. Maybe it might be good for all of us. Let's look at that definition real quick. Number one, what does it look like for us to experience emotion? When your spouse or your son or daughter, they just broke up with their girlfriend, you're thinking this is ridiculous, this is the third one in the last six months. This is not helpful. That's not you letting them experience the emotion. Their grief and their disappointment is real, and you need to enter into that. Emotions need to be experienced in order to move through. That's the first thing. Emotions need to be experienced in order to move through it. Now to do that, it's kind of an interesting view the Bible has on how human beings are formed. So let me put a picture up of kind of three circles. And these three circles are how the Bible describes, and you may not agree with this. that's fine. Uh, there's a Hinduistic view of personality. There's a Buddhist view of personality. But there's a unique Christian view of, of personality or personhood. You're a triune person designed by a triune God. You have a body, and that body's not separate from you, it's part of you. Which is why when your emotions aren't doing well, like worry, anxiety, you get ulcers in your body, right? There's a connection between the two. But your your soul is composed of three parts. What you think, what you want, and what you feel. And I bet you're comfortable with one of those. You're real ambitious, you're really good at what I want. You're really a thoughtful, data-driven person, you're really comfortable with what I think. You're really good with emotions, and those thinkers drive you crazy. But if this thesis is true, then your spouse, your son, your daughter, your employees' feelings and thoughts and wants are all part of them. The Bible also says that just because they're part of us, they're not always accurate. I think right things, I think wrong things. I feel things that feel very true, but it turns out that they weren't. Everybody hates me trying to talk your kids out of, out of disappointment. They didn't get the, on the team and you're saying to them, no, 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 your life still matters. Life is bigger than this, right? But You're trying to enter into the emotion so they can feel it and then you're trying to kind of help them work through it. And thirdly, our spirit. And this comes out of a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, the God of all peace. May the God of all peace, and that word is shalom or wholeness. The God of all shalom or wholeness wants to sanctify or set you apart completely or bring healing into your life. Another way of saying it is there's chaos in aspects of your life. Sometimes your feelings are healthy and good and aligned to truth. Sometimes they cause chaos in you. Sometimes your thoughts are true. Sometimes they cause chaos in you. God wants to bring shalom or wholeness to the chaos because sometimes I want things that are good for me. A lot of times I want things that aren't good for me. So God is trying to bring the peace of himself To sanctify you completely, to bring wholeness into you completely in your body. Look at that. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body. That you may be preserved blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. So I have a friend of mine. He's a business guy. Ran a very, very successful business for many, many years. He's a top salesman. Just has done phenomenal for himself. And his kind of secret to success is filtering out emotions to stay focused on the problem. Which has been awesome for his success but not quite as awesome for his marriage (laughs) or his parenting. And so several years ago, um, and I've been good friends with him for a long time, he said, Chad, I'm starting to realize I don't really know myself. And he started a really incredible journey, and he's the last person I thought would ever do this, where he began to really figure out what was going on in him, what he was feeling, because I I can't identify more than three emotions, and that's why I don't empathize real well with my spouse or others. I want to start working on this. And he said this, I don't forget this. He said, Chad... I realized over the last 30 years of my career, I've turned myself into a machine. A very successful machine. A very efficient machine. A very productive machine. But I don't even let myself get sad. Ah, don't worry about it. It'll get better. But there's some things I'm disappointed in. Myself and others. Sometimes a grief when I lost my mom. I just kind of pushed it to the side. And having watched him for the last four years, it's been amazing to see... Same guy I loved, as efficient and productive as ever. But man, he knows himself so much more. He just talked about how he's been able to just connect. His marriage was already good. It's gone to another great level. His ability to connect with his adult kids have just really got stronger as he's learning how to listen. Not just to say, well, let's not think about that and go on to something else. And I want that for you. And I want that for me. But learning to do that means letting other people experience things. And to validate someone doesn't mean you agree with them. Sounds like you're feeling disappointed and angry. That doesn't mean you agree that they should. It doesn't mean you agree for the reason, which is probably you. (laughs) But you can still say, man, it sounds like you're really disappointed right now. Man, that's got to be hard. That's letting somebody experience something even if you don't agree with it. Second thing I said, uh, emotions need to be identified and properly positioned, right? So if feelings are furniture, then we need to realize, well, what are the feelings here? And many of us only grew up in a family that taught us like five emotions. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm happy. And so we don't know our own soul well because we don't have a good catalog for those things. Right? We don't have different emotions to be able to help our kids figure out, are they fearful or are they worried? Are they happy or are they excited? And so part of kind of interior decorating of yourself and others is to increase your emotional vocabulary. Hey, we're talking about happiness right now. Do you feel like you're more delighted or are you encouraged? I think I'm encouraged because that project went so well. You're talking to a a team member and you're saying to them, man, it sounds like I'm really sad. Well, I'm not super sad. I'm like depressed. I'm just a little grieved because I was hoping this would have reacted this way and, and the other team reacted a little differently. Are you overwhelmed? I wouldn't call it overwhelmed, but I would say I'm feeling a little boxed in. I don't feel like I have a lot of choices. Do you see the difference? You're able to help discover who you are. Yeah, I think that is where I'm at right now. You're helping your kids identify where they're at. They're going to stop telling the youth pastors all the time, my parents never listened to me, which is what you know, every kid's ever said for the last seven, 70 years. We're going to learn a little bit better how to engage with them, but also identify and help them figure out what they're feeling. Now, that's not always easy. I remember going to my grandma's house. We, we used to love spending the night at grandma's house. And grandma would teach. We, we'd play canasta together, or we'd play cribbage together. And one night, I'm spending the night at grandma's. And we get to her house, and she says, hey, 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 Chad, and her name is Ion. Grandma, grandma says, tonight do you want to sleep on the Davenport? I don't know what a Davenport is, but that sounds awesome. I imagined a space shuttle. I don't know why, but I was like six or seven. I imagined Grandma had a space shuttle somewhere in the house, and I was going to sleep on the Davenport. This is going to be amazing. So we finished playing cribbage and we pl- finished playing canasta, have a great time. Grandma beat the snot out of me because grandma was very competitive. And, and, and then we get to the end of the day and two things happen that were traumatic that day. Number one, she says, all right, let's go to Davenport. She walks me over to a couch. A couch! Did you know a Davenport is just a Norwegian word for couch or sofa? This was very disappointing. This is not, what I, this is not the spaceship I envisioned. But I suddenly knew what a Davenport was. The other thing no one told me. Is that my grandma wore a wig? I didn't know. This is something you tell a seven year old before he goes to grandma's house. Because grandma and I are playing cards. She goes in the bathroom, puts on her moo moo, because grandma always wears moo moos at night. She comes out, and my grandma is no longer in the building. It's some old man with no hair, three hairs greased back here. Hi, Chad. Ah, ah, ah. Turns out that big blonde thing was a wig. So, like identifying the Davenport, we need to actually increase our own emotional sense. Boy, I've never felt grief before. I've never felt boxed in before. I've never felt overwhelmed like this before. I've never felt like there was I've hopeless before. I've been able to overcome everything before. So let me give you some, some scriptures that kind of help with this idea. Identifying emotions, but also repositioning them. Which is, you know what? I do need to compartmentalize this right now because i got to get this done. But later on, we got to check out the laundry room. There's some stuff in the laundry room that's been piling up for the last 20 years. I got some grief, and right now I got to get through this, but I got to come back to this grief because if I don't come back to it, it's going to show up in my body because my body and my soul are connected. So here's what the Bible says. This is really fascinating, actually. The Bible says, be angry. Wow, kind of scared myself there. Be angry. It doesn't say anger is bad. how many times have, have our kids got mad or our spouse got mad, and you say, you shouldn't feel that way. Has that ever worked? Doesn't mean we shouldn't do it again, right? (laughs) Just because something doesn't work. You shouldn't feel that way. The Bible says be angry. If you're angry, hey, be angry. It's okay to experience that. However, then it goes farther. This isn't your identity. It doesn't define you. As we're processing your anger with yourself and others, and I've done that many times with journaling, and I can show you the research on why journaling helps you process those things when you write it down. But when you're experiencing anger, do not sin. Don't let it take you in a wayward way. Reposition it so it doesn't keep you in that cycle for 10, 20 years. Process it. Think how you're interpreting it. And then don't let that anger turn into wrath, where it now controls you versus you experiencing it. In fact, do not let the sun go down your wrath. And I'm not sure it means you have to every night by midnight do it, but put a short deadline on. Hey, let's not put this off another two years, three years, two months. Let's really process this. See if I need to get free from this. There's, a, there's an old technique used by the Hebrews in the Old Testament. It shows up in Psalms a lot. It's called soul talk, where the writers learn how to get to know themselves, identify what's going on inside themselves by talking to themselves. Like, that's crazy talking to yourself. What do you think worrying is? Worrying is negative talking to yourself. This soul talk is positive talking to yourself. It's getting to know yourself. So here's what the psalmist would say. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Who's he talking to here? I'll keep reading. Why are you disquieted within me? Maybe God, maybe himself. Then his next line is, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. He's not talking to God because whoever he's talking to, he's telling that thing to hope in God. Isn't he? He's asking himself, what's going on inside me? Why am I cast down? What is it I'm feeling? Why is it I'm feeling it? I'm processing my own emotions. Why am I disquieted? Why is there kind of this unsettledness in me? I need to not keep watching TV and getting on my phone. I need to figure out what's going on in me. Because the body does keep the score. It'll show up eventually. And then he says to himself, even though I'm feeling downcast, even though I'm feeling depressed, I don't want that to become my identity. Hey, I'm talking to myself. Hey, let's have hope. We can get through this. There is purpose to this. See what he's doing? He's experiencing the emotion, but also positioning it. Hey, let's position some truth over here. Let's put some hope over here in the midst of this. Let, let's not let this take over my whole life. And with other people, it's the same thing. The Bible says rejoice with those that rejoice. And some of us are good at that. I'm really good at that. I love rejoicing with people who rejoice. But I'm not quite as comfortable weeping with those who weep. Ooh, okay, let's go play a game. Hey, let's talk about sports. Let's talk about weather. And yet all of life is going to have incredible moments of rejoicing, but also some tough times of weeping. And our ability to connect with employees, our ability to connect with our our spouses, our ability to connect with our kids, is really to understand their entire soul. Do you want to get to know a third of your kids, a fourth of your kids, all of your kids? Well, then the ownership's on us to develop better tools. And to say, I'm not comfortable with this, but I'm going to try and get better at it. And yet, I'm not going to use the declutter method, right? Because I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to weep. But I also am not going to use the identity method. Because Proverbs says, he who trusts in his own heart, if you always follow what you feel and what you think in your heart, that's foolish. You can do it, but it's not going to serve you well because your feelings are not always accurate. And they don't always lead you into a good path. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Apply wisdom to your feelings. So I was talking to a, uh, a husband recently, and he, he just really cared about his wife, and he said, I really want to be a better listener. And I said, well, awesome. I would love to help if I can. So we're chatting together, and and I was asking his wife what was going on, and she struggled with some anxiety and some uh, just feeling overwhelmed a lot. So, well, tell me what's going on. She starts talking. And I started asking, well, do you feel like it's fear or worry? She's like, well, it's more like stress. I said, well, let's go more into stress. You feel like it's stress or you're feeling overwhelmed? Well, maybe overwhelmed. And as I'm interacting with her, the husband's like, interrupted me and her probably six or seven times. Yeah, but calm down. You'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, Let's not go too far. Let's. So, while I turned to him, I said, I think you really love your wife, don't you? He said, yeah and you don't want your wife to be overwhelmed because you've seen some of these feelings kind of turn into depression or overwhelm her. Yeah, so I can tell you really care about your wife and what you're doing is really trying to serve her. But can I propose there might be another way? Maybe you've so tried to keep her from experiencing the emotions by kind of cutting her off to throw in some positivity that maybe the best way to help her not end up in a ditch is to help her experience that. Yeah, I'd mean, I live with her. <laughs> I said, well, let's try and so as I began to listen, there's some tears and some comments, and uh, I didn't agree with everything she said, but I said, sounds like you're really disappointed, and at this point because this happened. Yeah, that's where I'm going at. And she just felt known and felt connected. I said, and, and I said, how do you feel now? And this is what guys can't relate to, what a woman says. I had a good cry. Guy's like, a good cry. It's like finding a unicorn. I can't imagine it's even true, right? But she's like, man, I really felt hurt. And I said, now, does she look more hopeful now? Yeah. So see, it worked. Listening. And, and, and the good thing you're trying to do, which is avoid the, the negativity or avoid the sadness, has actually stacked up the sadness. And I just have seen amazing work of him just getting a little bit better and their marriage getting a little bit better. And he feels more competent as a listener. She feels more listened to. I wasn't particularly good at this as a parent. My, uh, my daughter in particular, whenever she was sad or disappointed, I'd quick tell a joke so he would get her happy again. And I was really good at that, because I'm hilarious. Just ask me. Just ask me. I'm hilarious. My daughter came back from college. She said, you know, Dad, I realized that almost every time that I was sad or disappointed, um, you changed the subject or made me laugh. And, and I never got to deal with disappointment or grief very well. And I was so proud of her for telling me that. And I have become really good at not trying to fix it, not trying to analyze it, though I got a lot of good thoughts. And also not trying to avoid it. So many times my daughter will come over and she'll just have had a bad whatever and I just wrap my arms around her and I'll just hold her. And if you want to know how to do that, don't just hug for two seconds. Don't do the guy pat pat. Hold someone for 10 seconds. Just watch what that does. You enter into their moment. My son had a recent disappointment and we went to lunch together and I could just tell he was really down. And before I let him go, he's 23, I said, hey, can I give you a hug? Sure. And I said, I'm going to hold on until he lets go. If he for a second, we're done. Yeah. It was like a full 10 seconds. He needed his dad to know that he was there, that he was encouraged, that I was with him in this. Powerful, just a simple little thing. I want you to be able to have those moments with yourself, with the people you care about. And, and it doesn't mean if, you're, if your skill set on 1 to 10 is a 1, you're not going to be a 10. You may never become a 10. But could you at least move to a 2? Get to know yourself a little bit better. That's the third thing I'm going to look at which is emotions need to have wisdom applied to them. This happens actually in the Bible because a guy named Cain in the Bible, he up killing his brother, doesn't work out real well. Um, uh, He's angry, he's jealous, but he doesn't know how to tap into those things. So God steps into it and says, hey, Cain, you're very angry. Your countenance has fallen. So look at God as a wonderful counselor. He shows up and he asks questions. Hey, Cain, why are you angry? Let's get underneath this. What's going on that's causing this? He asks another question. Why is your countenance fallen? Have you noticed you seem like something's going on that's different. And often asking yourself questions and then saying, what are we feeling? And then how do we figure out what that is? How do we apply wisdom to that? Then he says, if you do well, if you handle this emotion well, oh my goodness, you're going to be accepted. This is going to help you grow in in healthy ways. But if you don't, man, sin is lying at your door. And the picture here is actually of of a lion about to jump out. That, man, if you don't handle emotions well, certain emotions that will eat you alive, bore you out. Rip you apart, cause twenty years of regret. Its desire, your emotions' desire, is for you to to destroy you. But you can rule over it. See how different that is. It's not I'm defined my emotions. It's not that they don't matter. It's that they're furniture. They need to be experienced. They need to be identified, and they also need wisdom applied to them or reupholstered with some wisdom on top of the emotion. See, it's amazing because in the Bible. Feelings are like furniture, and God is such a wonderful counselor. You may know this verse from, from Christmas time For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And look what they call him, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor. God doesn't just watch up in heaven. The, the message of the Bible, even not to say convinced of it, is that God became one of us. He took on the emotions of being in family and being disappointed, and watching his, 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 his cousin be radically killed unjustly by beheading. He got to feel what we feel. He can sympathize with us. He can empathize with us. And he is a wonderful counselor. As you realize, God wants to be your wonderful counselor. He identified enough that he died for you. That's what the Bible says. So that he can help you walk through this world that's so broken and so hurtful at times. So what would it look like for you and I to prioritize interior decorating? In yourself? What it, have you turned yourself into a machine? What would it look like to get to know what's really going on inside you? What's some disappointments you put off for a couple of years? Or, or some things that maybe I'm not sure why that I, I haven't addressed this. Make interior decorating in yourself a priority. Just get a little bit better with your kids or grandkids. A little bit better with your spouse of making their inner life, what they feel, what they think, what they want a priority. And those around you. Might be your boss. What's it like to have the pressures that they have on them? Might your employees? What's going on at home that may be affecting their job right now? What kind of leaders would we be? How well would we know ourselves and others if we began to prioritize interior decorating in ourselves and others? Now, to do that, I want to have you hear a story firsthand of somebody who's right in the middle of that in his own life. It's a friend of mine going back uh, many, many years. In fact, he used to be uh, on staff here at Horizon. He was a serial entrepreneur. So besides being our children's pastor, he was always starting businesses. And so he eventually just couldn't help himself. He went away to start those businesses. So let's give a warm Horizon welcome to my friend Matt McKee. Matt, come on down. (laughs) Good to see you, man. Come on up. yeah. Yeah. So Matt, for those who don't know you, kind of tell us your story. And for those who do, kind of catch us up. And uh, then we'll get into kind of how you've been processing emotions with with your family and and with your life right now.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, it's been 13 years uh, since I was on staff here. And it's been a journey. Uh, It's been a a lot of highs. I mean, I've been able to start a company that we built 4,000 apps in four years. I ended up selling that company. I got into private equity. Like, what pastor goes from, you know, children's pastor goes from pastor to private equity to serial entrepreneur that I can now say I've sold several different companies and I now get to work on another one. It's an artificial intelligence company. It's been around, uh, it's called Bark. Skynet? No, no. But, uh, you know, Bark is a, uh, it's a system that's helping families uh, keep their kids safer online. And in this system, we've actually helped stop 16 school shootings. We've helped over 5,000 kids who are imminently suicidal get help. Wow. Uh, we've turned in over 1,300 online predators into the FBI. Meaningful, meaningful work. Mm. And you know, last year we went out to raise our our Series C round. Mm. You know, so we've been through A, we've been through B, and like I I didn't. When I started here as a pastor, like I started a Bible study. And I had all these guys that came in and they were like ultra business guys. Mm -hmm. Like just uh, incredible. And I taught them everything I knew about the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) And they were teaching me all these things about business, right. Mm -hmm. And I was just soaking it in. And we were going through all these different things. And I was like... I got the much better deal on that because they would let me call them back and uh-huh. I'd be like, hey, this is, uh, this is amazing. What do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? So we had just raised $67 million for Bark, and helping um, you know just know that we're gonna be able to help so many more families and so many more things. And one of the things that we were gonna do uh, as a family was we were gonna go celebrate. And we were going to go to Seattle, and I would never been to Alaska before. It was one of the 50 states, and I was like, hey, this this is going to be awesome. So we found ourselves in Seattle. It was the day before we were supposed to board this cruise ship. And all of a sudden, I had this immense pain in my right side. Mm. Now, up to this point, I would have just said it was stress. Right? We were out there, we were raising all this money, and I was just like, okay, maybe it's my appendix. Uh, You know, it's on the right side, maybe it's something there. So I told my family, go enjoy the fish market. I'll be just a moment in the ER. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. So uh, while I was in the ER, of course, they did all the blood work, they did the CT scans, and uh, the doctor walks in, and he, he was maybe 32 years old. I mean, just young doctor. White as a ghost. He's sitting, and I'll never forget, he sits on the edge of the chair. and He goes, I, I don't know if I've ever had to tell anyone this before. But you have stage 4 colon, liver, and lymph node cancer. Your liver is four times the size that it should be, and it's popped out of your rib cage, And that is the immense pain that you're feeling today. Mm. It's not your appendix. It's not a gallbladder. You see, I was at the height of what I thought. I I had actually just written a a, a book as well called Parenting in Tech World. I was supposed to be on a tour for 17 cities. You want to talk about wrecking your world. And coming face to face with reality. But here's how I was able to deal with it. You see, in college, God changed my life. God changed my life because someone introduced me to what it meant to be forgiven. What it meant to be loved. Someone introduced me to Jesus. And that relationship that I had with Jesus that started in college, that I got to wrestle with at a church before this, and even got to wrestle with while I was here, was real. And you see, when the doctor looked at me that day and he said, and I I don't even know if doctors are allowed to say this, but when he looked at me, he said, you're going to have to fight like hell. And in essence said, we don't think you're going to make it to Christmas and he left the room and i'm there by myself without my wife without my kids look i i don't know how you feel about the holy spirit i don't know if you even believe in the holy spirit but i firmly believe the holy spirit came in that day and he gave me a battle cry and he says you're not going to fight like hell you're going to win like heaven you see, when like heaven became our battle cry as a family. Mm. It became a way for us to deal with emotions that we didn't know how to deal with. You see, mm. the last months that I've been dealing with this thing called cancer, we've had to deal with grief like we've never dealt with before. We've had to deal with priorities that we've never had to imagine. I wish I could sit here today and say, hey, the first six months of IV chemo shrunk everything down and everything's okay. But my last PET scan shows something totally different. It shows that it's taken over my liver 100%. It's now in my spleen. It's through my rib cage. It's in my pelvis. It's still in my colon and it's throughout my lymph nodes. But there's one thing that I know throughout all of this. That God is with me hmm. and that God is with my family. And no matter how much longer I have, we all, none of us know. But that God is going to be with me.
0: And how have you in that, when your wife's at a different place of hope than you are. When sure. your kids are a different place, I'm about your, your kids are 18 and...
1: Yeah, 18 and 16. How are you
0: giving them freedom to feel angry at life, angry at God, fearful, whatever it is, and try to reupholster that with, hey, here's some wisdom, here's some hope to incorporate into it. How have you done that for yourself, your wife and your kids?
1: Yeah, you know, hope through hardship is, is tough. Yeah. Counselors are amazing. <laughs> You know, we have as a family, um, we, we've all gone to family counseling. And, and it's one of those things that it, it's tough, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We go together, uh, my wife and I, we will sit together and, and talk together with the counselor. We'll go with the boys as well, and they'll sit with us and we'll go, okay, how is it that you're trying to deal with mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. We are trying to rearrange the furniture within our family to go... Okay, even though we know God is with us, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make the feelings go away. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it is. It's it's about an incredible counselor. Mm -hmm. And it's also knowing One one of my verses that I've really hung my hat on throughout this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And you can find it, Paul is writing to the church in Hebrew. And and he says this, We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Those that have gone before us, and those that are even sitting in this room. Now, Chad, you know I I like to make fun of you a little bit because my shoe game is so much better than your shoe game.
0: Always has been.
1: (laughs) It it just, uh, it it is. And, you know, um, throughout this journey, one of the things that I've been... On, on my feelings. Every time I go in for chemo, I have to have the same pair of shoes on. Uh-huh. Every time I go, uh, and sometimes I have to wear a pump and a bag of chemo, and a, I, I have these shoes that have bags on them because it helps me to go through the journey. And today, I actually picked a pair of Jordans. I don't know if you know this. Every pair of Jordan, I've got ha- two of them. Yeah, a pair of Jordans. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Do you know the names? Only because you said it last service. Yes. Uh Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And these are called elephants. And the the Jordan Three elephants. And the reason I wore them today is because an elephant has an incredible memory. And that memory is one that you know they go through the jungle and they go through all of all of these different things that they have to go through life, but they remember. I'll never forget what this community has meant to me. I'll never forget how much was poured into me because of this church. I'll never forget how much you accepted me even when I was wearing some much crazier clothes, some much crazier shoes, But believe it or not, even today, this church affects my family, it affects how we deal with feelings, because it really did help us to understand that no matter what, God is with us. And because of that, we don't have to fight like hell, we get to win like heaven.
0: Man, isn't that awesome? Can we thank Matt? Man, that's so awesome, man. Wow. Wow. Well, I am uh, I'm excited about the way you have brought such incredible strength and hope to people. I see people on your Facebook page. I follow you. I get to see the way you encourage other people. I love that motto, this kind of banner you've been waving that, you know, don't fight like hell, win like heaven. And that's what's unique about the Bible too, right? That Because Jesus defeated death, anyone that thought it was bad for three days, he came back from the grave. If we die, and I don't want you to die, man, and I, and I know all of us don't. But to die is gain, the Bible says, because we know where we're going. But to live is Christ. So we're going to pray for healing, but we're also going to thank God for your incredible um, example to all of us. Can I pray for you? Come over here. Let me give you a hug. Man, love you. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Mm. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much. We're all going through us challenges. Some of us are on the top of the mountain, Father. And we, I just love people gathered around and cheering us on and celebrating us and encouraging us. And others of us got valleys that no one else knows about. Things that have come our way. And Father, I ask that Matt's example of perseverance and hope and trust will be be an example to us to how your faith and your example in Jesus can allow us, when we face difficulty, to keep pushing through. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give him a hand? Thank you, you, man.